Welcome to the Coworkers Podcast with Jesse and Shaney, where every believer is a coworker in God's mission. Hello, friends. Hi there. Don't mind the drums in the background. We arranged that for some nice musical melody in the background. Just in time. <laughs> at the end of the day, when we are going to record, start it up. Those are the drums of a pretty serious religious festival going on in our city. Yes, Hindu festival going on with a lot of idol worship going on in our building this week. Yeah. So, and it does feel particularly oppressive, like this week does kind of every year. Yeah, it has. Yeah. Been it some really has real instances of spiritual attack and oppression we've yeah, felt with we our have, family. You had a bad dream. Yeah, that makes it really sound. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's kind of belittling. I'm but not that's trying okay. to be. It was a bad dream. I'm not trying to be <laughs> silly about it. Yeah, it was serious. Thanks. <laughs> yep. I guess we'll get over that. No, for real though. We have felt the spiritual battle, and God gave us the grace to respond with prayer and worship and sharing the gospel, and prayer walking, and God has been so faithful to strengthen us. So we have a victorious God, and I'm truly, truly thankful. And when we feel spiritual battle, He's so quick to come to our aid when we take steps towards Him. When we see it. Still surprised, as long as we've been on the field, that I'm so slow to acknowledge the reality of spiritual battle. Yeah. Our background's still just so strong in me, where we gave little attention to that when I was growing up, even with scoff at those kinds of notions, maybe. Uh, just like you scoffed at my dream. You belittled it. Thank you. <laughs> I didn't at the time. Just right now. <laughs> yeah, no, we had two days of like a dark cloud over our house we and realized it was because of all the idol worship around us. So today we wanted to talk about how to choose a sending organization. As you are in the midst of thinking about, we know that many of you all out there who are listening are preparing and thinking through and praying through, hey, how can we get to the field? And obviously, ascending organization and choosing the right one is a big part of that equation. So we wanted to talk through some of the ins and outs of that, uh, offer some biblical wisdom and then some practical wisdom as well about what it would look like to choose the right one. Right. The way that I see it is similarly to when parents are trying to figure out the right kind of schooling for their kid. Like there isn't a, this is the only Christian way, or this is the best Christian way. It's more of a, we're going to seek the Lord. We're committed to him above all else, and we're going to allow him to guide us. And so I think from the beginning, we want to say there are a lot of great missions sending orbs, and we rejoice in all of those. And we team with those on the field. We have some teammates from different orgs than ours. And we have others in the city that we partner with in different ways from different organizations. And so really thankful that even in our time on the field, there have been new organizations started. And we really should have a lot of pathways to get to the field because we need a lot more missionaries, right? That's exactly right. Yes. And in the midst of tons of good options for schooling, there's usually one that's the best, right? (laughs) No. (laughs) <laughs> Not at all. Shaney didn't want me to say that, but but I think that there is a lot of truth to that. Yes. We do. Praise God for diversity in the different organizations. Uh, we've learned a ton, actually, from other people who are with other organizations, which we sometimes call GCCs, Great Commission Christians, that we labor alongside of on the field. Uh, there's a lot of different strengths in different organizations. They bring a, lot, a diversity of gifts, like we would expect in the body, and sometimes some challenge, some welcome challenge about 
maybe something we see that they're doing that we're not as able to do or a way of thinking about doing things in a new way. Yeah. And so in the same way that competition, so to speak, it's not competition, it's friendly competition, but that can drive innovation. Yeah. You know, we have seen that, the results of that in our own time on the field, our own organization also. Yeah, a natural sharpening through that, I think. Yeah. So with all of our topics, I think the most important thing we want to look at at the beginning is what is the biblical foundation? What's the biblical pattern? I think there are biblical parameters. I think actually this is a really important question. Obviously, we would say that. But sometimes I think we can naturally assume that a missions organization is just purely a practical thing, that there's maybe no biblical background for that or even biblical warrant for it, that it's purely just a practical construct Necessity. that we've made up. That's right. In order to facilitate what we do believe is biblically mandated to us is to go to the nations and make disciples. But I would actually argue there's biblical warrant for even the concept of a missions organization. And it's rooted in the biblical idea of missionary teams. In the New Testament, we see the first followers of Jesus in the power of the Spirit and obedience to the commission. They've taken the gospel to the ends of the earth. That story begins in the book of Acts, right? The way they did it consistently was by working on teams. Uh, and that started from the first official team, the first officially sent team in Acts 13, when Antioch commissioned and set apart Barnabas and Saul. Okay, so here's the, the profile of the team makeup. Here's two guys from different places, different local churches, you might say. Saul, originally from Tarsus, of course, but kind of saved and sent out initially by the church in Damascus, maybe. We could call the church in Damascus ascending church. Uh, and then Barnabas from Cyprus originally, but seems like maybe he was saved and he was definitely sent out from the church in Jerusalem to check on the church in Antioch in Acts chapter 11. So their own origins, their own sending churches, and yet now they find themselves together at Antioch and they're commissioned and sent out by the church in Antioch to go and do this work. So in that sense, there's another sending church in the picture. That's the church of Antioch. Uh, this pattern continues in all of the co-workers mentioned throughout the New Testament. We find out where they're from, who their sending church was, but then they join either that particular team. They'll join either Barnabas or Paul later on or form, form their own team and go out. Timothy, of course, from Lystra, Acts 16, as they go back, they're visiting the churches established from the first missionary journey. He's recruited. It says Paul wanted him to accompany him. So he's recruited out of there. The list of workers, the seven workers that we've talked about a lot from Acts chapter 20, verse 4, that were a part of, of Paul's missionary team, it lists where they're from, right? Tychicus and Trophimus from, from Asia, it says. So likely from Ephesus or from the area around there. Uh, others that are listed as being from Macedonia. So we know they're, they're sending churches. Epaphras is from Colossae. Epaphroditus is from Philippi. He actually carried the collection to Paul, uh, the support that the church in Philippi sent. Phoebe from Sencre. Uh, Priscilla Aquila, originally from Pontus, but then it says he came from Italy, from Rome, uh, established a work at Corinth. So all these different people from different places led by the Holy Spirit to the same type of work to go take the gospel to the nations, and they find themselves working together. The Spirit draws them together, and so they actually work together as a team while they're on the field. So the fundamental unit, I would argue, from the New Testament is that missionary team. That forms the basis for the idea of a missions organization, because what we see is the way they were doing it, different people from different local churches teaming together, that looks remarkably like the same way that we do it today, right? And all these teams in the New Testament, we find that they were working in different places simultaneously, and yet they were still connected. For those who were under Paul's influence, we see him giving directions, hey, go here, do this, take this letter over here. So there's a sense of unity, even though they weren't always working together on the same particular team. 
And to me, the fact that they were interconnected like that um, and also still related to the churches that they were sending out. After each missionary journey, Paul returned to the church in Antioch and gave a report. At the end, he was returning to the church in Jerusalem. There was also the sense of a shared kind of theological commitments. And when a, an issue came up that they wanted to discuss, they called the Jerusalem Council. And they brought back their missionaries and they talked about it in Jerusalem. They came to agreement on these theological issues and then they issued a, a statement on it that then Paul and Barnabas were to take and to deliver to the new churches, especially where there were Gentiles, in order to see, hey, this is what the church in Jerusalem and the, uh, the believers are gathered together. This is what they decided about this particular issue. So in the New Testament, missionary teams, they operate outside of the local church, and yet they're representatives of the local church. They carry, a, I would argue, a, conf a conferred authority and identity as they work together to pursue the things that the church has commissioned them to do, and yet they still relate to the church. They're still, in a sense, under the church's authority and yet sent out to operate as an independent team. Now, ideally, this, I think, forms the basis for modern missions organizations. And so in a biblical sense, a missions organization should be a collection of these types of missionary teams formed by sent out ones from different local churches who've committed to serve together as a team to reach a particular missiological target, and they're supported by like-minded churches who provide accountability and encouragement along the way. That's what a missions org should be, and I think a lot of missions orgs out there actually reflect this biblical identity at its core. So as we think about it, and as you're thinking about it, based on that biblical foundation, maybe some things to think through, some basic suggestions, practical suggestions about how would I choose? What should I look for when I'm thinking about A, in a real basic sense, does it look like what we're talking about here? And then beyond that, some other suggestions we have for you to think through. Right. So we have a list of five things to consider as you're deciding. And the first two, to me, seem obvious. Number one, are they committed to the Bible as their number one authority? And not just notionally, but yeah, for their work, like for the pattern of their work as well. Yeah. In what way does upholding the Bible's authority inform the way that they think about the work as well? I think, for example, the exclusivity of Christ for salvation, what they consider missions, mm. and the pattern that they're following. Yeah. And I would say also, have they made it clear? Have they made those things clear in some kind of maybe confessional statement? Is there something that's written down that defines the boundaries yeah. that are marked out for them theologically, ecclesiologically, missiologically? These are the things that we agree upon. These are the yeah. first order issues. And then there's room within these boundaries for us to disagree on second and third order issues as right. long as we're agreed on these. Right. Because those will be super important. Their doctrine of God, of salvation, of what church is, how you're saved. Yeah. Essential. Non-negotiable. That's right. Yeah. And then number two kind of comes out of that, but it would be more particular. Do they see that the Bible has actually a pattern and parameters for mission work? And that the ultimate goal within that is church planting as the primary means of reaching the unreached and multiplying worshipers around the world. There are, as everybody knows, different missiologies, different strategies these days, mm -hmm. but we just want to make it clear the biblical pattern is work that moves towards church mm -hmm. from which then the work can continue and continue to multiply out of church. So is church explicit? Is church planting explicit as the goal of what they're doing as a means of furthering the gospel and furthering the mission of God? Right. Good. Number cool. three, these are a little more subjective, a little more practical. Yeah, rather. I mean, number three feels pretty important, though. <laughs> 
<laughs> this one is, is there a proven track record of missionary longevity, effectiveness, of good, healthy teaming? Are there people you can talk to on the field who've been there? They've been laboring faithfully. They've welcomed and trained other people onto their team. They've been able to demonstrate effectiveness. Just basically in the field. a good reputation, integrity, yeah. right? Yeah, that's right. There should be some some trustworthy leadership and a good track record that you could look to. Mm -hmm. And even if it's a new organization, which again, praise God, there's tons of them out there. Those who are starting that org, where do they come from? Right. What's their background? Is there something yeah. that they're speaking from, a track record like that? Yeah. The fourth thing would be, what is the method of accountability and the level of accountability? And I think this is a pretty big topic. There is room for a lot of different variety here, but pretty important for it to be clear who do team members report to, how much field leadership is provided, mm -hmm. how much accountability in your day-to-day -day life, how much guidance and oversight in how you spend your time and how the ministry is done. That's a really big factor. Particularly in the first term. I think those are, obviously, those are issues that are there throughout. Accountability, stewardship, who are you relating to? There's eyes on regularly um, in, in your work. But I think particularly in the first term, that's a really big factor to know that there is going to be consistent accountability, consistent oversight with you, people that are going to be engaged with you. Yes, but I would want it always. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Of course. I just think it, it changes, I think, in intensity and frequency over time yeah. when you're on the field. As you're growing into that responsibility growing into that self-empowerment a little bit more yourself, a little less reliant on that over time. Yeah. And then the fifth one is how much support is provided? And I want to talk about different levels of support. Obviously, financial support, how much and where it's coming from, that's a big factor. Many times we'll put them in two categories, fully funded or raise your own support. But there's also kind of hybrids where you do raise some support, but your organization might give you support also. So that would be a big factor to think through. And then in terms of other types of support, again, I'm just going to mention the field leadership here because it's such a big deal. Hmm. When you land, who is your leader and how much involvement are they going to have in your life and your ministry? Also training, pre-field training, continued training on the field, leadership development, just that ongoing modeling and direction that's provided. And then there's a lot of other types of support that aren't absolutely necessary, but are super helpful, such as language learning support, TCK support, counseling, missionary care, medical support resources for when you return to your home country and have your stateside, those kinds of things, I think is a big factor in choosing. It is. Support's a big deal. And I do think it's good maybe to to clarify here that these are things that we, we're speaking to from our own experience as well. We have experienced, I think, one of the highest levels of support of any organization that's out there. Mm -hmm. And so there may be things that we just mentioned that uh, maybe the org you're looking at and you feel inclined to maybe doesn't have a lot of that yet. Maybe they're in the stages of building that up. And so by no means would we say you shouldn't go with them because they don't have this fully fully supported model with all of the checkboxes. We're not saying that. And ultimately, 
our calling, we're responsible to God first, right? He's the one who calls and he will provide. But these are just good things to ask along the way that we have seen through our own experience and through the experience of many colleagues. These are just very practical real life issues that come up and to examine the level of support that's provided by the particular organization you're looking at is a big deal. Right. I think just to consider what they do provide and then what they don't, you need to know how you're going to get that mm. when you need it. That's right. Just to have a plan for that. That's right. Because life on the field is stressful. And so there's times when having a medical consultant or really good insurance is really important. Yeah. You know? It could be, could be life and death. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's common for children to struggle. So having help with TCK issues and, and those kinds of things. So I think just however you're being sent, those are things to be thinking through. That's right. Uh, related to this last point about how people are supported and funded, I think like Shaney said, if you wanted to put them in two primary buckets in terms of organizations, there's fully or mostly funded and there would be support raised would kind of be the two big buckets. So we wanted to talk through a little bit of the pros and cons just to try to clarify what may be some of the benefits of both of those models, what may be some of the the drawbacks of both of those models. In the, the fully funded model, I think one of the pros is that, I mean, we're fully funded or mostly funded. Yeah, so mostly, yeah. So because of that, there's not, we don't have to devote a lot of attention specifically to raising money in mm -hmm. terms of writing back specifically to financial ask for financial needs. That's yeah. right. Those kinds of things. It does free us up to give more of our attention to the work that we've been yeah. called to do. Right. I think just there's a less financial stress there can be because we're not worried about, you know, what percentage have we raised up? Is it going down? And so that's just a blessing Yeah, that we don't have to devote a lot of time and energy to that. Mm-hmm. What we have seen is with this this kind of model as well, I think it promotes stability and longevity on the field, which leads to more accountability on the field also. There's a maybe a more enduring community, leadership-wise and accountability-wise, there's just more of a presence there. Mm -hmm. And so we've seen that over the years as well, that stability that's able to be offered. Uh, people that have been around for a while, people that have proven leadership and can offer that mm -hmm. to people downline, especially right. when they first get on the field. Right. Because I think that usually is connected to a high level of accountability on the field. Mm -hmm. And so that's really good. Yeah. As you said, especially for new people, it's really good to have some policies there. I think it's great when organizations require full-time language learning that you can't just drop out <laughs> when it gets tough, you know, yeah. things like that, that are hard. It's less freedom. But sometimes the less freedom is really good for us. That's right. There's a factor of who are you accountable to, right? Almost like who are you trying to please, to put it very simply. I think that there's, for people who are raising support, there's a temptation to report good things or to at least report like, hey, we're doing these really high value things because you sent me out here to do this. And there's parts of our life that don't, they just don't make the flashy newsletter, right? Language learning, that's not something that always gets celebrated. And so we, as fully supported, we have the freedom to spend our time on things that don't look flashy, that don't look like, hey, they this is going to- don't make money. That's right. That don't make money. Yeah. And yeah. the freedom to be able to do that without the pressure to, from the beginning, please supporters that you are vitally dependent on. Right. And so there is that level of freedom, kind of a cushion there yeah. that allows us to do things that we have determined are important, right? but don't make the 
top of the newsletter when yeah. you're writing back to your supporters. And I think another pro of having those fully or mostly funded options is that is for people who maybe they come from a small church, maybe they don't have a large Christian network in their life. So raising your own full support can feel really daunting, especially if you don't have a lot of friends or family who are wealthy, honestly. And so some people raise their own support and they're part of these big networks and they have all these connections. And and I'm not taking away from the faith-based side of that, but that's obviously a really big blessing from God when you happen to have some friends with money, right? So I do think it's great for people who don't have as much of that to have the option to go fully funded. That's right. I think that it's important to point out just the practical basis of this. This model of cooperation, this is the model that our organization was founded on, is churches maybe of limited means who are committed to sending decided to cooperate because they could do more together and they could send more together because by themselves, they couldn't necessarily accomplish this. So it can be, I think in the, in the support raising model, we can lose sight of the fact that there are lots of churches who aren't resourced enough mm-hmm. to do this and maybe potential goers who would really struggle to put that together, to find the, mm-hmm. the type of resources that are required to be able to be sent out. So this is where the model of cooperation, that initial commitment came from. And I would argue, again, this is based on a biblical foundation. There's biblical precedent here. As Paul was doing the work, he was supported by multiple churches at the same time, and I would say like, uh, like-minded churches as well, that he accepted that support while he was doing the work, that even these churches were at times pooling their support together in order for the work to continue. Now, that, that cooperation was centered around the work of being sent out to lay the foundation of the gospel. So from the beginning, I would say in our case, historically, our organization, the cooperation initially came from the sent out ones and the desire to support sent out ones. So that's where the unity came from. So that idea of cooperation, I think, is profoundly biblical. And that's what we're following in this fully funded model. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the plus points for raising support model. Mm-hmm. Because we do have, like I said, friends and teammates who have raised their own support Mm -hmm. that we are so thankful for. We support them in that. And we actually support people. We give money to missionaries every month. So I want to make sure that we make clear that we think that's a really great model. I do think that when I talk to our, our support raising friends and teammates, a consistent thing that I hear is that it has taught them to trust God in a really special way, like to trust God to provide for their family, for them, for their finances in a really special way that they don't know that they would have experienced otherwise. So I think that's awesome. Mm -hmm. I know that many times they have really strong connections with their supporters and that that can be a really big blessing to them People can like give in really generous ways, and that can just make them feel so encouraged and supported. And many times, of course, if people are giving, they're also praying for you and just more in touch with you. And so I think all of that can be really great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. It seems like there is a, there's a little more freedom as well, that there's mm-hmm. freedom to make decisions about how much you need to raise, what you're going to spend it on. There are inevitably, with a fully funded organization, 
Um, one of the things that we've seen over the years is that there's there's kind of a natural inclination towards equity and trying to provide the same thing for everybody mm-hmm. and even trying to manage bitterness, honestly, from people when they see other people who might get more advantages than they do. And so it's almost like this enforced equity across the board, which can be exasperating, right? That can be a little difficult from time yeah. to time. But when you're raising your own support, there is a greater level of freedom when right. it comes to those things. Right. I mean, I don't like being told no. Mm-hmm. I like to be able to do what I like, what I want. <laughs> don't know if I'm the only one out there. So of course, if you have high accountability and you have policies, there's going to be times you don't like the decisions made that affect your life, right? Now that also, I think that's a plus and a minus. For instance, because there are some things decided for us, we just don't even have to worry about those or consider that, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think there's also a goodness in that. And I appreciate a lot of those. But yes, sometimes people feel like they want more freedom than a really involved sending organization might might allow. Mm-hmm. So question, do you think that raising your own support is the more faith-based model? Like it requires greater faith in God than going through a fully funded organization? I feel like this is a trick question. Are you trying to <laughs> fool me? No. You want me to say? Here. I think it's a common question. Yeah, it is a common question. And I think obviously in our case, I would say no. If I did believe that, then we would do that, right? right. We would change course and do that. Well, what would be your response to someone mm-hmm. who says that? I think that there's a, many ways in which we are faith-based. Just because our salary is guaranteed, actually, our salary isn't, in some senses, isn't any more guaranteed than people who are raising support through churches. Once the agreement is made and they make a commitment, their salary is guaranteed also. And so the people have said, hey, for this amount of time, we're going to support you at this amount. And I think that those both honor the biblical model of churches giving to support the work. I think as well that if we're going to take the whole biblical picture into account, what we see normally in the New Testament is churches as churches giving to support the work. I'm not sure in a faith-based or support-raised model, it seems like there's a lot of individuals that give kind of collected together even maybe outside of the knowledge of the church as a whole. And so I would say if you're taking the whole biblical picture, ours is the fully funded model is just as just as biblical because it is the churches are giving as churches. And so there's full accountability and full connection in that. Right. Well, I think there's room for both actually. Mm-hmm. Right? There's room for churches giving, they are giving mm-hmm. for the missionary support. There's also room for individuals giving directly towards ministries, Mm -hmm. right? And so I think it's kind of allowing for both. Both those happen, yeah. 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 So it is just good to remember, I think, that both of them have their own elements of faith. Both of them have their own elements of depending on or relying on the Lord. I know for us, there's been many things that we wanted to do or projects we wanted to pursue that we didn't have resources for. And so we prayed and asked the Lord to provide those things Mm -hmm. and provide through partner churches to see those things happen. And so we've been relying on him to do that. Right. And I think no matter which organization you're with, there's a certain amount of responsibility on us on the field to stay connected with our supporters, Mm -hmm. you know, to stay 
to stay connected to our local sending churches, to those individuals who particularly support us, pray for us. There's a a spectrum of how connected missionaries are, mm-hmm. right? No matter the organization. That's right. I mean, you can raise your own support and barely connect to your supporters, or you can be fully funded and barely connect to your right. supporters, right? And so I think that's a lot of that is on us. It's good. As we wrap up, I think hopefully you heard from us. I think there are a lot of ways to fulfill the original biblical purposes or the biblical foundations of what we're talking about. To be sent out, to honor the biblical pattern that churches do that. They affirm and they send out and they support those that are sent out. These missionary teams are comprised of people, believers from different uh, local churches, and they partner together on these teams to do the work. And they're supported by churches as they do that. I think there's you can do that through the fully funded model of a large organization and through more of the support raised model through maybe smaller organizations or other organizations. We wanted to close by maybe just expressing a little bit of appreciation for our particular organization. As we've said, it's a it's a fully funded model or mostly funded, I guess we should say. There's a lot of times that we're still raising funds for particular ministry projects or for particular things that come up. So there's still lots of opportunities for that. But I would say we're one of the few denominational organizations, mission organizations that's still around, that still operates on that mostly funded model. And do just want to say, maybe express a little bit why we're thankful for that and why I appreciate this particular organization that we've been with for the past 18 years. It's easy, I think, to kind of point out the the weaknesses of a large missions organization like ours. Uh, we seem like we're the the Starbucks in the third wave world of of missions orgs, right? We're kind of behind the times maybe. You know, we've got, uh, we're too big, too corporate, too many rules, maybe not enough rules, maybe too soft, maybe too hard, too many restrictions. So I think it's important just to know that we see a lot of value in what we have been doing together. There's a community of practice and a community built up over the years that I think is made possible by our funding model that we are free to do things. We have incredible resources in our organization that are actually made available to the broader Great Commission community. Things like research, things like developing tools. Uh, a lot of the tools that have been developed in our organization have seeded the world, the missiological world. And I think they did that because we were freed up to do those things and to really concentrate and spend more time uh, digging into those things. So because of that, I think we have been been able to lead out in a lot of ways. And then the level of support, like we said before, is just incredible. We have felt in the darkest times in our lives, some of the, our greatest, not some of the greatest challenges we ever face as a family, our organization, which means the people who are there as a part of our organization came around us as family and took care of our needs and walked us through that. And so that for, for us makes us really grateful. Uh, and we've seen nothing that changes our perception of that in our 18 years of experience with the board. Of course, there's there's been some failures, there have been some things maybe that we've seen we wouldn't prefer, but along the way, definitely more good than bad, which makes us really grateful uh, to be a part of this. So just to say, again, to affirm all the different ways that people would come out, to also in the midst of that, I think appreciate the particular ways that God has allowed our family to do this work and to mm-hmm. fulfill it. Yes. In a family of coworkers that we love and that uh, we're very grateful for. Yep. So hopefully this has helped you all listeners. I hope that uh, you can 
at least know the talking points. If you're on the field and you have people in the States or in their home country looking at coming overseas, some things you can help them think through that they should be thinking about as they choose an org. Some things to be thankful for, for those of us who've been on the field for a while. We know it's easy to to fall into entitlement or a lack of thankfulness or a critical spirit. And so we do want to stir up thankfulness <laughs> for all of us, all of us on the field, whatever your situation is, just for the people that are supporting us in the States, the people that are praying and giving. And, and recognize that all of those are channels of God's faithfulness to us, regardless of the particular pathway. All those are ways that he's supporting us in the work. We want more and more people to come on the field through lots and lots of good biblical ways. So we hope that this will stir that up and that more people will be able to pursue reaching the lost around the world who need the gospel. That's That's the goal for God's glory. Let's go.